Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kiseki Cast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me is my co-host, Josh. Hey, guys. And our special guest today is Emma. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for, for coming on. So Emma is a follower of ours on Tumblr and uh, always has lots of thoughts and things to say about trails. And uh, so we decided to invite her on here today to talk about the plot of Cold Steel 3. Uh, before we get too much uh, into this, I want to start out and give a quick shout out to a, another reviewer that we had on iTunes. Uh, this reviewer is called Anton with Love, so I'm assuming you must be a fellow Sharon fan. Um, and I'm sorry we didn't see you sooner, but I don't. I'm not really an Apple guy, and apparently, like if you go to just iTunes, it goes to whatever iTunes is in your country. So this person was actually reviewing us on the German iTunes, so we just didn't see it. We had to specifically go looking for it. So thank you for that. Uh, also, I want to give a shout out to uh, one of our past guests, the Kiseki Nut, because uh, ever since he gave us a shout out in one of his videos, we've seen an increase in downloads by about 20%, so thanks TKN. What video was that? Uh, it was, I believe, the Crossbell Character Countdown. Go check it out uh, sometime. It was, uh, thanks TKN. He mentioned it in when he was talking about Arios because of something I had said. So yeah, getting back to our guest here, uh, Emma, would you like to tell us a little bit maybe how you got into Trails uh, to begin with? Yeah, for sure. So um, so firstly, my console of choice is the PS4. Um, I'm a bit of a, a trophy nut, uh, achievement hunter, and uh, kind of uh, going through games and stuff, I, I found kind of easily that JRPGs were my, my kind of favorite genre. Uh, rating for, uh, ranging from uh, Persona 5 to like really unknown gems such as Utuware Rumano, and uh, I, I, as such, I uh, watch a lot of YouTube videos. You know, like top 10 uh, JRPGs for the uh, for the decade uh, of the uh, of the year or something. And uh, going through those, I just found that uh, sometimes they'd include a Trials game. Uh, most recent ones would include like uh, a Cold Steel game. And in the comments, I'd see people be like, "Oh, yo, he likes Cold Trail. He likes uh, he likes the Trails games. Yeah, people like really check these out. These are really good." And sometimes uh, I'd watch another video and it didn't have a, a Trails game in it, and the comments would be like, "Where's the Trail game at?" <laughs> so from that, I'd be like, "Oh, okay. So uh, well, people seem to really like these, and they're not talked about much. So maybe you know, it's just a other underrated, unknown gem." Uh, so uh, there was a PlayStation sale one day. Uh, I think uh, PlayStation does uh, big in Japan sales uh, for, for JRPGs and, and such throughout the year. And I just remember from those videos, uh, I remember Cold Steel 1 and 2 being in the sale uh, for like 10 quid each or something like that, you know. And I had played uh, Tokyo Xanadu earlier in the year. So I was like, oh, okay, I kind of like that game. Um, I think that the, the story was good, the characters were good, uh, and, you know, Falcom being the same developer, I was like, yeah, for sure, okay, I'll give these two a go, and uh, went with that, and yeah, just, just, sorry, that was a bit long-winded, but yeah, I uh, just uh, really, really liked the first one, really liked the second one, and then there's like, hey, there's a third and fourth as well, go for it. That's, uh, that's funny, that's basically what I did, um, except with the PSP, not PS4, uh, I saw trails in the sky on just about every list and i think i watched one review of it too it wasn't even like a spoiler review and they just had nothing but good stuff to say so i was like well i should pick this up so it's it is funny that that's basically how you have to find it sometimes you know unless you are really like i don't know in the know of jrpgs it can be hard to find some of those hidden gems yeah for sure um i mean some most of them are pretty buried uh, even in the JRPG sales, they're not like, you know, on the, the front page. You've got to just really dig through those 20 pages of, uh, of apps just to, just to find it. But just it's, it's kind of surprising. This is the thing that I found with Trails is that it, it, it kind of blown my mind. And as TKN's kind of highlighted before is that I don't think another game series has done this sort of thing. That it's just built on itself so much mm -hmm. um, since the first game. And uh, by that, I think, you know, it, it is really good in the way that they develop some characters the way they take the plot it, it, it is surprisingly all interconnected so the way they do it so well i thought it'd have a have a bigger fan base and be 
more well known. But uh, so it's a surprise that it hasn't. But I'm glad that that seems to be uh, changing and that they're getting more fans. Yeah, I think Cold Steel Three might have been one of the f- might have been the first one where they had like a big, you know, like the PlayStation uh, YouTube channel released like a trailer about it. I don't remember that happening for the other ones. Although I wasn't really around. I wasn't playing the games when they were initially released. So, anyway, uh, today's episode we are going to be talking about the plot and the happenings of Cold Steel Three. We won't be diving too much into character analysis. We're going to save that for a later episode. Uh, we will talk about characters, obviously, uh, since that's you know how how the plot happens. Uh, but we're going to be a little bit more focused on the big events and things, and maybe how they connect to some of the other games, things we liked, things we didn't. Uh, obviously there's lots of spoilers for Cold Steel 3 as usual, but we're gonna pretty much stay away from Cold Steel 4. We don't know anything, I don't know anything about Hajimari really, except that it exists. Um, I haven't looked out, or sought out, um, information or spoilers about that game, so we'll probably reference Cold Steel 1 and 2 a lot, and, uh, we used to say, like, every episode that this is not a spoiler-free podcast, uh, but we kind of got away from that. I, I think that everyone just kind of assumes that by now. But, yeah, we, we won't be talking about Cold Steel 4 very much, if at all, so don't don't worry if you haven't played that yet. Uh, the, the first thing I wanted to start with is Trails has always had a very formulaic model for how the game plays and how the story progresses, um, and I think that Cold Steel 3 is especially formulaic. Maybe it's because I've, I had played some of the other games and was used to it and could recognize some of it. But um, do you guys enjoy the formulaic model? Like, Josh, do you, do you like that, um, you know, basically you go into a chapter and the same sorts of things happen for each chapter just with a different bad guy in a different location? Yeah, because the way Trails uh, does it is because of how the story carries it, I guess. It's not all too repetitive, even though we're doing basically the same thing every chapter. Uh, yeah, agreed. I mean, um, I've only had uh, Cold Steel 1 and 2 to go by, but going into Cold Steel... Oh, you haven't played the Sky Games yet. No, no, I know. Okay. Um, but, so, uh, I think this might, that might be the reason why I admittedly didn't enjoy Cold Steel 3 as much, Mm. uh, because I didn't really get all the references that were going on, and I was just thinking, like, have I missed something? And it's just like, yes. Yes, you have. But, um, sorry, yeah, your uh, original question is that having only uh, played Cold Steel 1, I only really had that to go by in terms of, like, uh, the repetition, because it it does, Cold Steel 3 does strongly relate to uh, Cold Steel 1, at least from what I saw. Um, For example, you know, when you you first go in, you've got kind of the the fast-forward to, like, five months in the future, where you've got... um, uh, kind of like they did in Cold Steel 1 and before the uh, the cannons went off. Forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then, you know, after they leave you on a bit of a cliffhanger, they, they cut back to uh, five months ago. And uh, formulaic-wise, I think it, it does work because it does keep you hooked, you know. Um, every, every chapter, you go to a new place, uh, find out what's going on in that region, uh, find out some information, get a bit worried, go to the place that make you made you a bit concerned and then you you fight a boss battle and, and back to school as it were and I, I feel like it uh, all hangs together really it's fine I do think that Cold Steel 3 is a bit different considering that we're going to places we've never been before mm-hmm. because if it's like if Cold Steel 3 started out like Cold Steel no not started out continues the trend in Cold Steel 1 where we're going back to places we've been to I think it would be you know kind of boring I do appreciate that we're seeing an, a whole new different side of Erebonia because we haven't been to western Erebonia is it western Erebonia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's west yeah because we've only really heard some of the things about it like from people's conversations we haven't actually been there so yeah, I guess it's it does sort of make sense that we're still doing the same thing from Coastal One, just in a different location, because it is, you know, it is not necessarily a new arc. It's just a continuation of an existing arc. For sure. I mean, um, I like how you kind of mentioned there that it's kind of like you're getting the different perspective um, of you know how one and two was focusing on the east, and now you're in the west, and especially. Mm-hmm 
since we at the end of two you know um the civil war was ended uh it's kind of the no you know the noble alliance lost and i'd say that the noble alliance was especially strong in the west during the civil war so we're now seeing kind of the aftermath as well from the west's perspective having kind of you know lost um and i think that's especially apparent in uh you know, uh, in St. Ark, seeing, um, sorry, I'm skipping forward ahead, but uh, uh, seeing how, um, you know, how Principal, how uh, Aurelia Le Guin has been affected, uh, and Bardias, and um, uh, Patrick's dad, what's he called? <laughs> oh, his name's escaped me. But um, Lord High Arms, let's just say that, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the locations in a second. Um, but what did you guys think of the pace of the game? Um, you know, a lot of times... The having that formula helps the pace stay really consistent, or at least um, be something that, while like an I guess people would say you know coming into the trails series that trails is slow. Um, I think that it's an enjoyable pace. I think for me, Cold Steel Cold Steel Three's pacing was perfect. I consider it my most favorite uh, Cold Steel game because of how every I think it struck a great balance between, uh, you know, the student life and then all the big happenings about it. And then you get, you know, how they implemented old Class 7 and new Class 7 by, like, switching party members. I think they made it perfect, too, because you're not too overly bloated in terms of benched party members. But as, as far as the pacing go, I think, I do think that it's one of the better paced games of the series because it doesn't drag towards the end. There's no like strange or awkwardly placed event that happened in the game. Like off the top of my head, the um the shrines in Cool Seal 2 felt a, a little bit weird. The orbital shutdown in Sky a uh, Sky SC felt a little bit weird, but I didn't feel any sort of like slowdown in Cold Steel Three from my from my perspective. I'd agree with that. I mean, the, uh, the especially the school life uh, made sense. Um, the callbacks to CS One as well with the uh, with the exams and stuff like that were ni- nice touches. Um, and the uh, at first when I because I've I've played for context I've played uh, Cold Steel Three twice. Um, on the first run through, I felt that we. Uh, possibly did spend a bit too long in places but then again i do understand that that has to account for um as cold in cold compared to cold steel one we did have a lot of places to go to so we had less time to kind of be there but at the same time as as josh so rightly just said is that um you know there's only so many party members to uh, to kind of add and account for um from the old class seven so that would explain why there was only a certain select amount of places to go but yeah, overall, taking that into consideration, it, the pacing was was rather, was very good. So, what do you guys think of having Reen uh, as an instructor? In, in my opinion, he's a little bit young to be an instructor. Like, I'd buy Toa being an assistant or something. You know, she's motivated, she's capable. But it it felt kind of weird to me to have Reen be an instructor while he's so young. Like, it, it never really seemed like something he wanted to do or, or something like that in, in Cold Steel 1 and 2. So it it seemed a little like it... I don't know if you'd say he just kind of somehow fell into it or something. But it didn't it didn't come off as like, Oh, yes, as expected, Reen is a teacher now. So How old is Reen again? I think he's 20. 19, because then his birthday is halfway through the year, and then he's like, oh, right. I can drink now. Right, right. Mm, okay. Well, obviously, I don't live in Erebonia, so I don't know, <laughs> like, what is an acceptable age to be a teacher, but I do feel like Green is still sort of young. Like, didn't he just graduate from Thor's main campus? Yeah, yeah, he ju- he just did. It hadn't been very long. And, like, I I know that, like, in when I was in high school, I remember there was one teacher. I didn't have her, but she was, like, she had just graduated college, so she was 22, and... I remember people thinking, like, she was a high schooler not that long ago. Like, you know, I was, like, in in middle school when she was in high school. We were on the same bus or something like that. And Reen's even closer in age, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that, too. I mean, um, kind of witnessing the first few hours of, of Cold Steel 3, I was sort of 
not so much baffled, just kind of, okay, they decided to take it this way, um, sort of thing. Not seeing any of the promotional material and just going straight into uh, Cold Steel 3, but yeah, I, I remember looking and thinking, okay, I never really got any kind of vibe that Reen wanted to do this before, and I honestly think that it's something that he kind of did as a result of, um, you know, kind of, he's, he's being used by the government. And granted, then, yeah, they're not strict on his every decision that he decides to do, but I just wondered that maybe there was some sort of intention behind, oh, well, if I'm a, if I'm a, an instructor, I can teach my students the kind of, not so much the right way to do it, but kind of, I felt that in Cold Steel 1, he was, like, Sarah teaching them the way that she did, in a sort of bracer mentality. If he had the opportunity to kind of give that to other people and kind of make sure, not that they were like, make sure that they were good guys, but that they were able to think for themselves in a kind of less militant um, way of thinking that the uh, Imperial Army would kind of want, but in a, in a more kind of like, you know, go into things open minded, um, treat requests as uh, kind of, you know, seriously, like, you know, you need to support the public and that sort of thing. Um, so I thought that might be kind of part of his decision behind it, if that made sense. That's kind of an interesting outlook, you know, a, a teacher at a military academy trying to bring a perspective that's not as militaristic. Uh, so what do you guys like of the new Class 7? Um, do you like the size? Uh, I, I, personally, I think the size is a lot better. It's a little bit more manageable. You have fewer bench warmers. Uh, I mean, you start out and you only have uh, three, three students. Um, and that definitely felt better than... I know when I went into Cold Steel 1, I was like, you know, in as, as far as like real classrooms go, having nine students is really small. But having nine playable characters, like, pretty much immediately that you're supposed to, like, talk to and get to know seemed a little daunting to me. Do you, did you guys prefer the smaller size, or did you like the original? Okay, um, story time. When I was in fourth grade, we, I only had ten classmates. <laughs> so, it didn't feel too weird to me to see class, uh, old class seven size, but they just continued to grow anyway by adding two more characters mm -hmm. midway through. But, new class seven kind of shocked me a little because they at first they started with only three like students i'm like okay how are they going to you know address the other two students that we've been seeing from promotional promotional materials being ash and music and i was like well i guess they have to you know expand the party a little bit more because like four playable characters does does seem a little too small for a trails game but I wasn't actually expecting Ash and Musee to be added to new Class 7. Like, the way uh, Crow and Milliam was added to old Class 7. But, uh, to answer your question, I do appreciate how new Class 7 is a little bit smaller. Because in old Class 7, some characters got the short end of the stick development-wise, character-wise. You know who I'm talking about. So... In new class seven, I feel like they had some sort of an equal, you know, equal chance to shine a little bit, even though some characters end up being boring than the others. <laughs> but yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying there because you know, just the fact that you have a smaller class means you get to have more time spent with each one. Mm -hmm. Though the thing I noticed the most, though, because isn't a student anymore in Cold Seal 3 that it made me miss like the bonding moments that old Class 7 has because the relationship there is different compared to new Class 7 and I think I told you this before too Tyler when I was playing Cold Seal 3 the first time mm -hmm. yeah so uh, I, I'd agree with the with the sizing too um, I mean going into it I was like okay there's three uh, not 9 or 10, which we had to begin with, which uh, I think kind of cured the problem, not so much cured or the problem, but there was a, uh, in Cold Steel 1 and 2, having such a big party with the original Class 7, is the, I think there's the kind of constant kind of criticism that having a team of that size is that you weren't really privy to many um, kind of 
group development, as it were. Uh, I mean, you had Lauren Fee, Emma and Fee, uh, sort of interactions, uh, Milliam and Fee, uh, they'd sleep together on a bench sometimes, that was cute. Um, but, you know, seeing that sort of, like, individuals from the group interact with something was something that was kind of missing from 1 and 2, which kind of made it feel not so much less genuine, but it just, uh, having that there might have, you know, made the team gel a bit more, I guess. But, you know, having having that smaller team in Constable 3, I felt, was was good and beneficial, because, I mean, you've got Yuna and, uh, Altina, uh, bunking together, basically, in the the same room, and with with being roommates, you know, they're, they're bound to get on, and, you know, they do, to a point where, uh, Yuna, also having a, a younger sister, you know, kind of, uh, brings out that side in her, um, kind of as Milliam does with Altina, uh, in that, you know, she, she starts calling her Ali, and then the team starts calling her Ali too as a result of it, you know, Altina gets a little bit annoyed at it, but kind of doesn't say anything after a while, um, so I felt that kind of inter-team bonding does, does kind of work better with a, with a smaller team, and as, as Josh noted too, uh, you know, it was from the from the get go. You're like, okay, Ash and Muse are gonna get in here some at some point. Are they gonna, like, you know, just kind of be guest characters towards the end of a chapter, or are they uh, actually gonna come in at some point? Yeah, when I knew that they were gonna be in the the group, you know, if you watched the trailer at the beginning or you saw the trailer when they were doing the promotional stuff, which I know you said you you didn't watch that, um, Emma, but the. I noticed when when you see Muse and Ash in the beginning of the game, they have the little badges. Everyone has the little badges for their class that they're in. And I noticed that theirs is different. And so I was kind of curious as how they would get roped into. Like I thought maybe something would happen and they'd get separated from their classes and somehow have to like join up with class seven. Obviously they just simply transfer, which is like the easiest thing that could have happened. But, um, the it, it, I definitely agree with you, Josh, that they have a very different feel, the old Class 7 and the new one. It almost feels like um, like the old Class 7, I know that it was more of an experiment when they were starting it, you know, at, at Thor's, it was like the first time that they'd done that sort of thing. Uh, so they were still like, each individual was figuring out how the class would would work together and everything and they had a little bit of an idea of it going into cold steel 3 being led by someone who was the leader of class 7 the first one but it feels like as they go through the game that there's a lot more responsibility put on the shoulders of the new class 7 based on like how old they are you know the original class 7 they were always seen like as students everywhere they went and I felt like, yeah, they were students in Cold Steel 3, the the new Class 7, but I felt like they were allowed to do so much more. In Cold Steel 1, they go to a town and, you know, if something happens, they weren't really, you know, they were, they were told they weren't supposed to go help out as much. Well, I guess Sarah wasn't with them. You know, you didn't have, the, the students would do their stuff kind of on their own. You don't even get to control Sarah until the attack on Gorelia Fortress. Uh-huh. And you get to have Reen like the whole time. He's like there babysitting. I guess that could have been a reason that it felt like they could do more. Maybe I am just comparing, maybe just in my mind I'm confusing some of the things that you do with Reen. Like when he goes to Raquel at night, the class isn't with him. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah, I see. Uh, what but you mean. when they go to the casino, the class is there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something that they definitely wouldn't have been allowed to do in Cold Steel 1. Like, they go into the casino and play against mercenaries. They play Magic the Gathering against mercenaries. Sorry, uh, I get what you mean, though, Tyler, because um, I think in Cold Steel 1, when you had the whole instant in Ruhr, where you had the, um, the tech... Uh, I think you you go into a factory trying to trying to figure out like whether people have been selling metal on the on the black market or something, and um, you know Claire Claire just happens to be there with her with her team, and then you know even even Claire's there she knows like what you're doing and stuff and she's like oh you're you're to leave this matter to me when, once you beat the big tank and they're like um, I think that's when you're about to go into the into the mine and and confront the terrorists 
um, like Vulcan and C. But I, I even you know Claire knows the context and knows that um, you're able to find stuff. But she's like, no, no, you, you leave this stuff to me. But even like you say in uh, in Constable Three, for example, um, you're allowed to just go out and do whatever the heck you want. I mean, oh, Reen doesn't I see even what you guys to, are saying. Reen doesn't Sorry, even have to like. No, it's okay. Uh, Reen doesn't even have to like flash a badge or anything and be like, oh, we've got this or anything. It's just sort of, oh no, there are archaisms out who might be like who are hurting people, and it's just like, oh, it's okay, we've got this. Whereas, uh, you know, that's that sort of thing is, is is that the kind of thing that you were getting at, Tyler? Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing I was getting at, and I'm glad that we invited you on here because uh, you you have a a knack for like remembering a lot of those little plot things that I I can kind of feel it out, but I would have to maybe do a little bit more solid remembering to to draw some of that up so but yes that's exactly what i was talking about yeah so yeah for sure i did i did uh kind of feel that as well i mean you're right in that like sarah wasn't with you but then at the same time i feel that if she were claire would have just kind of given her a a stand down (laughs) sort of look uh, at the same time um maybe that it's because you know uh reen's kind of seen as, as a big figure um, you know, Ash everywhere he goes, it's like, oh, the Ashen Chevalier. So um, maybe that's why the kind of the government or you know, uh, keep like guards kind of give him give him the uh, benef- benefit of just saying, oh, just go do what you want. Um, but at the same time, he does, you know, he is resembling the uh, uh, the branch campus, which kind of confused me in a way because, like, uh, from the get go, you you're like, oh, the the branch campus is is a trash bin. <laughs> so you're like, okay, that makes me feel great about myself, but Reen is still allowed to do what he wants, so, okay. It's funny that you, you described it like that, and, and that they, they kind of put forth the idea that the branch campus is a, a piece of junk, because it's so freaking nice. Like, walking around that campus, I would love to go to that school and have, like, you know, that little town right next to it. That would be like, it was literally a resort before, and they converted it into that like it's you're literally just on vacation that would be awesome yeah actually that was uh one of the questions i kind of wanted to ask you guys actually was um h- how you felt uh about the branch campus uh, in comparison to trista if you don't mind me asking josh you want to uh, you want to go first on that yeah. one since i know you like trista oh i definitely love trista like there was kind of like a homey feel to Trista and you know the soundtrack that they used the, uh, the ambience like uh, what's the word the um, the architecture if that makes sense but like it just feels it screams uh, Trista screams home to me so when I saw um, leaves the first time it was I mean they were trying to get the same vibes I feel like but it just feels very different like and I think they the color scheme they use for the branch campus reflects that too because their uniforms are blue everything feels you know you know that one episode in spongebob where squidward travels to the future and he was like everything's chrome in the future that's <laughs> why is everything that's, chrome <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i thought at first when i first saw the branch campus like why is everything you know chrome <laughs> But I definitely do prefer Trista over Leaves, if, you know, you were going to ask that. That's fair. Do you think it might be because it was the, the first the first game that you had played? I think that's... Uh, I think so, yeah. I think that's definitely a factor on why I like Trista so much. Okay. I actually... I, I preferred Leaves, and I'm not really sure exactly 100% why that is. It might just be because I liked the layout and the the places that you can go there um you know there's like that little hobby shop where you can like buy more vantage masters cards and stuff yeah that would be like i would have totally been there all the time um i mean it's also cool too that we know that we find out that the land that they use actually belongs to the capuas right yeah i did like that too that was always that was something that was really cool i actually didn't think of that even though i knew that josette was going to be at least in Cold Steel 3, that wasn't something that I had pieced together, even knowing their backstory. But I, I, I'm i not sure exactly why I preferred Leaves. Maybe it's just because uh, 
spoiler for our ranking, I liked this game more than Cold Steel 1 and 2. Um, so maybe I just, that's part of the reason. What about yep. what about you, Emma? Which did you prefer? Um, so honestly, I gotta agree with Josh. I really, I really like Trista. Um, even with the lower graphics, to be honest, the lower graphics were always just really charming to me. They just kind of screamed uh, aged well JRPG to me. Um, I just, I just found the, the lower quality graphics just charming, and I just felt that Trista and the main campus. Uh, agreeing with Josh again, yeah, it did kind of feel like home. It had a very homey vibe. Um, I liked how, to me, and feel free to disagree, but um, Tristan and the main campus, it kind of felt like they did gel together. Like, you could think, oh yeah, these, they're, they're like, you go up this road and, and, and there's, there's Tristan. They kind of fit together compared to Leaves and um, you know, it, it, which has kind of got a kind of Trista-like vibe, but then when you go up the road, suddenly everything's tarmac. Or, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, which to me, which I understand why, you know, because like you said, the uh, the used to be a resort, and then it was like, you know, turned into a branch campus. But I, I small details like, uh, you know, in Trista, uh, sorry, in the branch campus, um, it was just like a big house, and the doors were, you know, like wood. You'd open them, push and pull. Whereas the branch campus, I feel, was more kind of more formulated, more formal in that it was like put, uh, sliding doors. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just felt that it's like the branch campus and leaves didn't really fit together in that you had this nice homey town like Trista. And then it was a kind of it felt sort of cold in a whale, in a way to me, um, the, the uh, branch campus. And I think when I was playing through it, I kind of associated it with well, I, I get why everything has to be tarmac. You know, you've got the, the field is tarmac compared to uh, the main campus's field, which was just you know like nice grass and earthy spots where you could go out and play lacrosse or whatever. Obviously, you can do both on both on both fields, but um, I felt that it, it was kind of more symbolic the branch campus of um, kind of the age where we now do Panzer Soldat training um, <laughs> yeah, on the field. That's exactly the vibe. Was that's exactly the vibe I was trying to give out when I said like everything's chrome in the future. It yeah, has yeah. to like reflect that there now we do like you know mechs and stuff, and there's like the um, the futuristic like boxy building. I forgot the name of it. <laughs> the, Ein the the keep. Einhell keep, yeah. Yeah, I I wasn't a big fan of the design of the keep because it just kind of looked, I don't know, like a big cube building. That's not not my favorite shape, maybe. But um, did you felt did you feel maybe it felt a little bit lazy, or was it just that um, it wasn't that original, maybe? Uh, I I can see what you mean with lazy, just because it's a cube, um, and <laughs> that like shows up well in um, you know they can easily make that in the game. Uh, I do I do know what you're saying with like everything's just this pavement and we're out there practicing the Panzer Soldats which actually is something that we were kind of talking about before where I said that or we, we all kind of agreed that in Cold Steel 3 it feels like the students have a little bit more responsibility and that there was a lot more like formal military training in Cold Steel 3 versus in Cold Steel 1 there was a lot more just bracer quests yeah so um i think that's uh off it's something uh, i don't know am i allowed to say a minor spoiler for cold steel 4 i'm not sure if it's even a spoiler it's more something that's just said that kind of makes sense in, in in um the um amount of students that actually go into the military after after graduating is like 60 percent Mm -hmm. In Cold Steel 4, I think they said something along the lines of they want to increase that like up to like I can't remember the exact number, but it goes up quite a, like quite a substantial bit. So I think the kind of the intention was to be like, yeah, we're going to make this more militant because we want you after this to to actually not be one of those people who doesn't then like use all of this for military reasons. We want you to get into the military, if if that makes sense. Yeah, just changing the goals of of what it means to be a student there. So since we were speaking about some of the locations uh, in 
Cold Steel 3. We started speaking about one location, at least in Leaves. Um, let's talk about some of the other ones. And I, I do like that most of the locations have, like, an important tie to a character. Uh, you know, when we go to Parm, there's uh, a small Vander training school there. So there's, uh, you know, one of the students in our group has, a tie, has ties to there. Uh, you know, Crossbell, we go to Crossbell, that's where Yuna's from. You know, we go to Ordis, that's where Muse's from. It's just nice to have that um, tie-in, which we, we did in the first, in Cold Steel 1 as well. Uh, so that's something that they were able to keep up. And um, I always liked that because it wasn't just, we're going to this town that exists. It's, we're going to Elliot's house and we're going to hang out there with his, his sister and stuff. That was always cool to to get to know the characters a little bit more. But um, working through some of these towns, what did you guys think of St. Ark? That was probably my personal least favorite of the places we went. Um, I share the same opinion, Tyler. Okay. I can't really put my finger on exactly why I don't really like it that much, but it's just not that exciting. Yeah, for sure. I think... um... I think, uh, you know, chapter one being Palm and St. Ark, I think was is kind of a combination of Cold Steel 1's chapter one and two, because you've got Palm, which is where, <laughs> which was where, um, you know, when, it when you're, Celtic. yeah, when you're in Celtic, I like to call it the Green Hill stage, because you always start with the night, the first stage is the nice, happy, grassy one where everyone's happy and everything's, everything's fine. Um, even if you do visit St. Ark before Palm, but, um, yeah, so while you're in Keldig, like, you, Elisa, um, Elliot, and Laura in Palm, sorry, are in Keldig, the others are in Palm, and, um, then, you know, in the next chapter, while you're in Bay of Bereahard, the others are in St. Ark, um, so I did like that throwback, I did also, yeah, like you say, Tyler, I really liked how, um, it's not the, you know, uh, people have an agenda with each town it's just that um you know you've kind of got someone in the group so that they, they they're able to say something about it because they lived there either currently or at least for a little while like uh, like kurt did for palm and i will just say just because i, I like symbolism stuff um in saint arc i thought it was interesting that when you went there i think i think it was yuna who made a small comment about how you know saint arc uh the the um architecture was kind of a little grey, which I thought was interesting because if you read the um, Black Records in um, Cold Steel 2, uh, when you're, you know, you're aware that when the capital of Heimdall was originally overtaken by the Dark Dragon, you know, everyone had to evacuate, and for that time that they were in that evacuation, the, um, St. Ark was the actual capital, and um, it was kind of emphasised that its architecture was like was like a pure white to kind of resemble oh you know this is Arabonia's capital this is like the big city but once they reclaim Heimdall and obviously you know that's the capital city again um I found it interesting that whilst it was the capital you know it's it's kind of this nice shining white but now it's no longer the capital and it's like the imperial government don't need it anymore kind of casting it aside it's it's kind of fallen into not so much disarray but just uh, fall into like the, the stones grade and it's not really taken much that much care of because it's not the capital anymore because it's not like the staple of Erebonia and instead it's kind of left to do arms to just it's just left to a noble to uh, uh, kind of manage themselves and I don't know whether like the stone being grey was was some sort of commentary on how it's like, hey, a noble's in charge of this, and they lost the war, so they don't have enough money to like upkeep it anymore. Um, sorry, I'm taking a few liberties with this with this kind of thing, but I just <laughs> thought it was interesting. Well, I definitely, uh, you know, noticed the when I saw that they were talking about the the fact that the you know it used to be a pure white and it had grayed a bit. I was thinking more along the lines of just you know that the city was really old. Um, but that's a that's a nice take on it that it could be seen as something else too. I didn't really think it could compare that much to Bereahard, um, because nothing really happened in Saint Ark. Um, yeah, it was more the more the outskirts of each each town. Yeah, but, um, more more happened in Parm, which I really liked Parm. Uh, I, I definitely felt the same 
that it was uh, similar to Keldic, you know, because it's early on and it's small. Um, I just, I liked the, the music there was really nice. It was really calm. And I liked that, uh, I, I didn't know that we were going to go to Hamel when, when I was playing, but I knew where Hamel was, having played the Sky Trilogy, uh, knowing that it was at the south end of Erebonia, and that's where we were, that's where Parm is. So I was excited that we would be near it, you know. Uh, I didn't know if we would go there or not. And then we ended up going there, and it was awesome. I was really excited about that, uh, because that was the place that I had really wanted to go after playing uh, Sky. But um, I don't know if I would say it's my favorite chapter as a whole, you know, the, the whole first chapter getting to go to Parm and Hamel. But it was definitely something that started the game off on a high for me. Yeah, yeah this I first chapter basically, basically, you know, tells you that, dude, everything afterwards is just going to have a lot of callbacks. So you better go and play the Sky games. Yeah, I wish I had at this point. Um, Are you going to start I'd, soon? I'd, Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. At some point, um, <laughs> I just gotta clear through my a few games on my backlog, and then mm. I'll just be right back at it, because uh, I think I'll be there when uh, Hachimari releases in English, and I would like to know a bit more uh, than uh, having... I mean, I mean, since uh, since going through, through Godzilla 3, I have uh, kind of done a bit more research on stuff happening, so on the second playthrough, I did understand a bit more, a few more references being thrown around but uh, yeah it's probably best if I uh, play the games myself to kind of fully know everything but I will I will go back and play Sky and then Zero eventually there's definitely a lot of things that are even just small references you know and you'll you're like oh I know exactly like the whole time that Tita talks about you know her friends back in Liberal and like her best friend that goes to Genesis Royal Academy and it's like I felt like it was such a so obvious, but then if you hadn't played, then you would have no idea. You're like, okay, so these are people that we're supposed to know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'd be like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, well, I, I'd seen um, like kind of overview, uh, happenings videos of each uh game in a way, kind of spoiling myself. Um, but my memory isn't so good on things having not completely played them. So. Um, hopefully I'll still get that shock factor when I uh, when I actually pay them. Uh, but yeah, I would, uh, have looking into like, oh, who does Tia mean by that? And then I'd be like, oh, is it Ren? Okay, what's Ren about? And then looking back into it, I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> this this is a you know a person has a lot of backstory. And then you like you know you're like, oh okay, what does that mean? And then you just end up you know branching out into wait, where did I begin with my questions? Um, about kind of what's going on, so I, I do understand that I kind of shot myself in the foot by going for Cold Steel 3 uh, before playing the Sky Sky games. I think, um, though, it's it's just like... I, I know that there's a lot of discussion about the, the play order that you have to play in, and I definitely would recommend a certain order, you know, so that things have the proper uh, emphasis and impact when you come upon them. But as we go further in the series, it's going to be harder and harder for people to want to start where they're, like, you know, quote, supposed to. So it's, I I don't think that's as big of a deal. Like, yeah, certain things won't have the same impact, but, um, and, and some people want them to have the same impact for everyone because they really enjoy them and they want other people to have that same experience. But, uh, people probably aren't going to have that exact same experience anyway because, they're gonna have different favorite characters and different things that they like. Yeah, for sure. Um, going back to what you were saying about Hamel as well, it actually did make me uh, remember that uh, going back as well to what you were saying about how uh, Reen was kind of just allowed to do whatever he wanted, uh, I felt that when you went to, uh, I think it's La- Langram Fortress, uh, basically the fortress where Elliot's dad is, um, where you go and he basically gives you written permission uh, to go to Harmel, I felt that, that was earned way too easily. Uh, what, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, like there wasn't like a guy standing there. They just walked up and no, they're like, was... "Okay, all right, we're going in." Was, I got my permission slip that no one's checking. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I mean, yeah, they didn't even need to give the the papers to anyone. You're right. It was just like it was just a little padlock, and I'm thinking, okay. 
Um, you know there was a bunch then, of kids hanging out there. Yeah. I mean, there's no barbed wire. There's nothing like I could just hop to the gate if I wanted to. You know, maybe bring a ladder along, but there wasn't... I felt that for such a huge secret as Harmel was, it wasn't that well guarded. Yeah, it was definitely... Fair, there are monsters. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. There were some monsters that they're working for the Erebonian government. <laughs> they're employed. And and speaking of Hamel, when we were there, like, uh, did you guys pick up on the hint that there was a third Hamel survivor? I think Ash makes... I might be mistaken, but I thought Ash made some sort of comment that made me think... Oh, yeah, because I think they go and they, they, uh, they pick up a toy or something, and Ash is like, oh, that must have been his, dot, dot, dot. Actually, no, that would have inferred that it wasn't him and it was instead. Um, There's three things on the ground that you can, like, examine. And one is, it's like a sword, so it's clearly supposed to be uh, Louvet's, and there was something that was clearly supposed to be Joshua's. And then there's, like, a third thing, and I thought they were just adding it, like, oh, there were other kids here. And that was... So I didn't really... Uh, I didn't catch that when I was going through because, you know, as when you play the sky, there's they they very firmly say that there's only two people that survive, right? Um, and I guess I just am going to take the game at its word when it says something like that. Uh, and I hope this is just my opinion. I hope that there's not like a fourth Hamel survivor at some point. I don't know why they would do that because the general story that. All of that, you know, in Erebonia is concluded. I hope that it's not, like, coming up with, oh, yeah, there's another one. Like, I hope that it's done. There's another one in Orid, and there's another one in Merovaferia, and there's another one in uh, Calvin. No, yeah, I I agree with that. I hope that they don't do that. Um, But, yeah, that's a nice catch, Tyler, actually. I didn't really think about the toys on the ground, but clever stuff like that i love it when they do that (laughs) so when you walk up to like the the stone right that's supposed to be the memorial for everyone in hamel and luve's sword is there because that's where um it's left in at the end of sc and i always thought previously i was like that sword's gonna show up again like it was crafted by the grandmaster it's got special properties it's it's gonna show up again but then they say here, I can't remember who says it, if it was um, Duvali might say it, that all its properties are gone now. It's just like, it's just a sword now. Huh, I probably didn't catch that. So I was, I thought for sure it would show up and it would be some, you know, important artifact or something like that, but apparently not. I mean, hey, we never know, like. The arc isn't even finished yet. True. Like the whole Zemurian arc. Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. And hey, maybe, who knows, maybe it'll come back sooner than we expected. We still have no idea about Hajimari yet. That's true. Uh, so the next location that we go to is uh, Crossbell. And oh, my favorite city. The I, I think it was really interesting, the music that they played. I think it, the song is called Caged Crossbell. I think it does a good job of making it feel like it's a, um, you know, everyone is just unsure or uneasy. Gloomy. Yeah, gloomy, uh, for sure. Uh, but it was really cool to see the places in 3D uh, that we got to go to for two whole games. And before. the NPCs too. Yeah, and the NPCs, even the cat is there. But uh, getting inside the SSS building is kind of like a neat, like, and I don't want to say homage because it's literally the same thing but it was kind of neat to see to go inside the SSS building again even though it's just bare, barren now yeah, it's, it's kind of neat but it's kind of depressing too and I know it's supposed to be I I found even though I admit yeah I haven't played the uh, the Zero or the or the Azure games like I can I can understand why you guys think it might be a bit depressing like I understand that it like could be seen as a, like, a nice little easter egg that they put in but like if you go to I think it's Kia's room you know, it doesn't show up on the map like as something that you can go in. But if you go up to the door, it's like, oh, the door's unlocked, and then you can go in and look. And it's like, she's left all of her like stuffed toys behind. And I just looked at that, and I was like, I know as a, as a little kid, like my stuffed toys were like my pride and joy. 
so to like have left some behind i do see that as a bit little bit traumatic really because mm-hmm. it's like you know i'm not doing this by choice it's just that like they're fugitives they've got a leg it with as little stuff as they can um because they're being hunted basically yeah that that was something that i didn't discover on my first playthrough i don't think i think it took um when I played it, I've played through Cold Steel 3 three times, um, but I what? did, yeah, I, I played it through once, and then I did, like, a f- really, really, like, not a speed run, but just, like, only pay attention to the big story parts for my second playthrough, and then I got it on Switch, and I put, like, 105 hours into it, and did, Damn. like, everything, but that was the time that I really examined, like, everything. Like, talking to every NPC and... Oh, wow. Doing doing all the quests. I even looked up a few of the hidden ones to make sure I didn't miss something. What I am sad about is that we couldn't go to the residential district on, on Crossbow because I was looking forward to actually go and see um, Ren's parents. Yeah, that that's true. I was looking forward to doing that too, and then you couldn't. And what did you think of the return to the Stargazer's Tower? I mean... I was kind of excited about it because I remember liking the events that happened in Stargazer's Tower, you know, like where you first fought Ian and then you fought Arian Road there and Ow. But then it's just like, I think there's kind of like a magic, the magic of Stargazer Tower that was lost when the game transitioned from 2D to 3D because in in Zero and Ow, it's kind of like, there's something like, um, the word for it otherworldly yeah otherworldly you know with like the like the sparkles the weird library Mm -hmm. you know it just didn't translate well over to 3d i think yeah i have to kind of agree a little bit there i still liked it and you know the the fight on the on the rooftop is is still really good and i really enjoyed that uh but it wasn't it didn't quite have the same magic to it yeah, I mean, have, having not played uh, the Crossfell games, can't really speak to what it was originally like, but I remember going in kind of feeling... It felt kind of like Lauren, Lohengrin Castle, um, but okay. like some, someone stuck on a moonbeam in the background so that, you know, uh, you, you'd get some nebula clouds every so often to make it look kind of otherworldly, but it didn't feel that magical. Maybe it's because I was always on edge because of the spiders weren't running about the place, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do you guys think of Yuna's uh mental breakdown that she has uh in this chapter? It's one of the most defining moments of Cold Seal 3 for me. Like I mean I played in English, so I thought the voice acting was amazing. Finding out when who the voice actor was for Yuna, it was um Erica Harlacker, right? <laughs> and she did Violet in Violet Evergarden. And that was like the only thing that i really knew about her at that point because i was still kind of new to watching anime playing games so i didn't i wasn't very knowledgeable about uh voice actors and everything but i knew going in i was like all right i already am gonna like yuna because uh i like the the fact that she had tonfas and she was from crossbell and i always like the female protagonist more anyway so just on top of that when when i found out who the voice actress was i was like, alright, this is gonna be good. Before Yuna's outburst, she's kind of... You can tell at the start of Chapter 2 she's keeping stuff in. She's bottling stuff up. And, you know, uh, with her being sent uh, to Erebonia to complete her education, basically, and um, having Reen as the Ashen Chevalier, like, you know, the person responsible for securing Crossbell from Calvard um, for Erebonia... Um, having all of those things kind of constantly hovering over her head, you can kind of tell, like, you know, she's not happy, as as she kind of makes very clear, um, that she's not happy that Erebonia is basically come and picked up Crossbell and added it to the Empire, because they could, and that's it. So, I feel that her kind of having that, having the outburst of, basically, why did you, why you keep on doing this to us? is is kind of her first step forward to basically, you know, I'm put, as in a kind of, I'm putting this out in the open. Why do you keep on doing this? And by doing that, she's kind of making it very clear to everyone 
like in a kind of do you not know how we feel about this it's kind of like we're just kind of an object for you to fight over um and we really love our city but you're kind of diminishing our kind of our opinions as people who live here you're just you're just fighting over us like like some object um but yeah i feel that i was kind of divisive divisive about what about her outburst because first you know she she grabs Reen by the collar and basically shouts at him like why, why do you come up doing this at uh, first i'm like oh come on it's it's not Reen. but then again he is kind of compliant with the um, government's demands so he he is sort of enabling it to happen um but i know i yeah i at that point i really i wasn't really a Yuna fan but that kind of did give me a little bit more appreciation for her as that you know this is something that is bothering her and it's completely understandable why it is bothering her so it makes sense for her to kind of have an outburst like that so uh josh what do you think about when you're uh on the top of ordis tower fighting and sharon takes the hit for uh for reen I wasn't expecting Sharon to do that at all, but I mean, I mean, she does want Reen to go with Elisa, so you know, I mean, she has to, you know, be at her, be at his service or whatever. But I wasn't expecting Sharon to, you know, actually stand up against like the powerful Ouroboros members. I mean, she kind of did back in Nord, but. She was just facing off against Blue Block. <laughs> yeah, it this, it was. I mean, the threat, the threat this time around was on a whole different level. It was definitely interesting. I know I've said everyone knows that I'm a big Sharon fan, and it was I was really pumped by the fact that you know there's three enforcers in this fight that only four people are fighting in, and she's fighting against her fellow enforcers, and it's something that I always found that really interesting. Like, yeah, they give. Ouroboros gives everyone some freedom to, to do what they want and have, have their own decisions and stuff, but to like actively stand against other enforcers seems like a very odd uh, freedom to give people in your organization. And so that was something I was always really interested in. Uh, and they they kind of just sweep it under the rug, the fact they're like, oh no, she's burnt. She's really badly burnt. And then she's like, like five seconds later, she's like, fine. You know, like... I mean, I, come on, super maid. I can't even remember how long it was in the game, but it was like, are you alright? And she's like, I'm fine. Yeah, it was like a long cutscene. You go and do like a short mission, and then it's like, oh, but I... And then Elisa's like, can we just check on Sharon? And we're like, yeah, sure. And you go over to the terminal, and you just see her face, and she's fine. You know, like maybe a little bit bandaged up. But you're like, oh, okay, alright. She can talk, she's fine. Uh, that's cool. I, I do understand, like... It did scare me a little bit because, as we know, like uh, at the start of chapter th- two, when you get Sharon alone, she's like, "By the way, if anything happens to me, um, th- just so you know, this is my backstory." So instantly, I'm like, "Oh gosh, death flags!" <laughs> um, like, please, please be careful, Sharon. And then towards the end, I'm like, "Okay, she's going up against McBurn." I don't really have context of the prior games to know how strong Campanella is, but. Um, seeing them go up against each other and i mean especially it it made sense to me that sharon took part in that fight because um with them essentially attacking the tower and um both the lisa and the chairman uh arena being in the tower as well would make sense why sharon would want to stop them but yeah i was i was a bit a little bit surprised i wasn't expecting um sharon to you know um kind of uh I wasn't expecting her to die, but I was just like, oh, okay, they're, they're making a move that soon. I wonder if, you know, this will this will make Reen potentially tell Elisa about the backstory, but... So. Actually expecting her to turn against Reen at that point. I'm not sure if I would have expected her to turn against Reen, but it was definitely interesting that, you know, it is. it was definitely a flag. I don't know if I would say I, the death flags were, like, flying, going up when she's told that story, but it was definitely like, hmm... Well, something's going to happen. Something's going to go on. And Josh, uh, to to quote Josh from something he said in a previous, I think it was a previous episode, uh, about Campanella, like, his physical strength isn't that, like, he's he's not very strong. But Josh, you said before, I think, that, like, being able to create mirages, like, control of what other people see is kind of, like, the strongest thing. Kind of like what Weissman did to Joshua. 
by basically altering his memories. And I just have to plug in a survivor code, Tyler. You know, I have to. <laughs> perception is everything. <laughs> if you, you know, perception is everything. So if you, if you're seeing what they want you to see, you've already lost. Right. Um, yeah, I'm kind of broke. Going back to Sharon a little bit, Tyler. I can't wait for when we do the Cold Seal Four episode because I think we're gonna have a pretty interesting discussion about her. Oh, it'll be interesting. We'll go back to some of the locations and and stuff in a minute, but I just wanted to ask what you guys thought of some of the returning Class Sevens uh, entrances because that's something that I actually really enjoyed in Cold Steel Two was when we would see some of the returning characters. And, uh, you know, I've heard some people criticize how there's never, like, a true risk in many of the situations. Like, in, in the earlier chapter when Doofily and Shirley are attacking the train, there's not really any risk there because suddenly, oh, look, who shows up? It's, you know, um, Fee and Elliot is growing some flowers over there. Uh, and it's like all these people show up to help you every time that something is about to go poorly uh, I kind of like that though, because it's like they're there to save you, and yeah, it's a little convenient maybe. Um, but I still think it's cool. Like I, I liked when Laura came in when you're getting attacked by the archaisms outside of the the path to Hamel. And what what did you guys like of the the returning characters' entrances? Uh, I th- I have to throw this out. I think my most favorite entrance in Cold Steel Three was when they were at the naval base. So what's it called again? Yeah. Juno Naval, Fortress. yeah, Juno Fortress, whatever. Um, and Reen and Company was talking to Zephyr, I think. Yeah, and yeah, they, they were like, and they were like prepping in for a fight already, and then Aurelia in an airship comes in to save the day, and I was like, okay, realistically. How can Aurelia hear what they were saying? I know, right? <laughs> they do that sometimes when a character's so far away and it's just like, we're just talking at a moderate volume, but they can totally understand what we're saying, even if, you know, <laughs> realistically, there'd be, like, engine noises and everything. But it's like... Uh, it is emphasized that Aurelia does have, like, really good uh, eyesight because she has to wear glasses sometimes to, to, to make her eyes less strained because she's her eyes are just, like, constantly 20-20 vision. Um, so maybe her maybe her hearing is just, just as good. <laughs> so yeah, to go back to, like, cla- old Class 7 entrances, I think my most favorite part, uh, favorite entrances were Emma's, Alisa's, just because I'm a huge Reen and Alisa stan, and I thought Emma's was badass. Just because we finally get to see her grow as a witch, you know? Yeah. Oh, I meant to ask you when we first started, um, were you really glad that a character in Cold Steel had your name? I was like, oh, cool, she's on the two. Um, and I, I, I kind of did like it that going through CS1, she was sort of the kind of the quiet kind one who wasn't all that interesting. She just kind of got on with things. She got good grades. If people needed help studying, she'd, like, help them. Which is kind of what I used to be like. I, I feel like I'm a lot louder now. But, um, I was, like, kind of... I understand that, like... Sorry, just relating this back to Cold Steel 1. But, um, I know that, like, during it, a lot of people have a lot of criticism. For, like, Emma wasn't really interesting in number one. I think they could probably say the same as Elliot as well. But I have a lot of appreciation for, um for kind of the quiet ones who just kind of get on with it, who are actually really strong. They just don't really believe in themselves as much as they should. Mm-hmm. So uh, I felt a little bit of kinship with Emma, not because we shared a name as much, more because it was like, like she's the kind motherly character who just kind of gets on with things and just is kind of quiet about it. I know, Josh, you were you really liked Joshua a lot and at the beginning because I think part of it was his name. I remember you, you saying, you're like, all right, this guy's cool. Remember the exact sentence I said. I I said, okay, I like Joshua because we share the same name. Please do not betray me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember you saying that, and I was like, "Mm, okay, don't say anything.
We're sorry for the abrupt end to this episode, but we ended up having quite a bit more to say than we originally thought, so we had to cut it right here. Uh, the next episode will start a little bit more abruptly than normal, uh, but that'll be the second part to what we were talking about here in the plot episode. Uh, if you'd like to follow Josh, you can find him on Tumblr and Twitter at Vanalexite, Emma at Hypernux, that's hyper-knux on Tumblr, and you can find me at Trails in the Sky on Tumblr.